spiritual boot camp. God's spiritual boot camp. This is, we've been on this for a little while now. Learning how we can build up our spirit man so that we can overcome. And then we can do the things we need to. God wants us to build up our spirit man so that our spirit can connect with His spirit on a regular basis. The more we build up our spirit, the more we hear from Him, the more we tap into that power of God, the more that we are able to do the things that He's called us to do. Just as it is in the natural, you have to build up your human body, you've got to build up your spiritual, your spirit man. We don't want to just focus on the physical man, we've got to focus on the spirit man. And spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally. Just like showing up in the weight room, watching your diet, getting out and exercising, builds up your physical man. There are things that you do to build up your spirit man. And we've been looking over a number of those principles. But here we want to take a look at something that just about everybody comes in contact with and has a problem with, and that is setbacks. We've all had spiritual setbacks, things that come along that seem to set us back, that seem to put us back on this. And we want to, we want to take a look at this one. We're going to be looking at four main characters here tonight, but we're going to reference a few others that have had these kind of setbacks. We're going to look at people who overcame them, but there's just as many in the Word of God who did not overcome them. Some people who did not overcome their spiritual setbacks that you all would know of right off the top of your head, Saul would be one. Saul hit a spiritual setback, but he never got past it and never overcame it and just continued on a, on a bad path in his life. But there are a number of people who looked, who, who overcame and did pretty well with it. And it's, uh, we all know how to fail at things. It's overcoming. That sometimes gives us the trouble that we want to do. Put in your outline this. Usually it is our wrong response to something simple. Setbacks are usually our wrong response to something very simple. It doesn't have to be something complex. Most things that have set people back are not huge, complex things. They're usually pretty simple things. And they've set us back. But usually it's just our wrong response to it that's get us a problem. In this first part, we want to look at the setup. Every setback in your life has been set up. It's been set up. If you're, if you're a sports fan, any sport that you have, whether it be soccer, whether it be football, whether it be hockey, whether it be baseball, they all have things that they do to set up what they want to do. In football, you run a couple of plays that look like a certain play so that you can set up running that play successfully. In baseball, you set up the pitch you want to strike them out on by sending some other ones that look like it ahead of time. And other, other sports will do the same thing. Things in your, your setbacks in life have been set up and you just haven't recognized the setup. Our response is generated by a buildup of emotions and not a reaction to a single event. We generally have been building up these emotions and have been building up and building up and then we have this reaction. You'll see this a lot of times in your own relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and bosses. How many times an incident has come up and you get kind of fuming on the inside but you suppress it, you keep it down and then another incident and then another incident and then another incident and then all of a sudden another one happens and you just blow up. And you look at that and you say, wow, that is quite a reaction to this one simple thing. But it's not. It's actually a buildup of all this emotion. And it all comes out on this one part. And once you get done that, don't you wish you could say, oh, I wish I could take back what I said. Oh, I said some stuff. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you wish you could take it all back, but you can't because you said it and you did it. 
But it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. Sometimes we have done things and it's been a build-up of stuff. We've got to learn how to get rid of that build-up and keep that, that from happening. So we're going to look at four individual setbacks. Here's, here they are. Moses, in Exodus chapter 2. We're, just, we're not going to read over these Scriptures just yet. We're all going to come to a place where we're all going to read some of these. But I'm just going to tell you about them. You all know these setbacks. If you've been studying the Word of God, these are pretty main stories. But Moses, in Exodus chapter 2, he found out he is the deliverer for, for the Jews. And he's, he sets out to do that and he sees one of the Egyptians abusing one of the Jews. And so he goes in and he, he beats the guy up and he kills him. He's trying, he realizes I am the deliverer. And then the, the reaction by the Egyptians wasn't good. The reaction by the Jewish people wasn't good. And he was kind of taken back by all of it. They all wanted him dead. They all wanted him out of the way. And so he just runs off to Midian. And he's out there for 40 years in the desert. Is that a good thing for Moses? He, there's nothing that happened during those 40 years that prepared him for what was going on. It didn't make him any more or any less ready. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. He just had that huge victory on the Mount Carmel. All the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Ashtoreth are all gathered around and they had that big fire calling ceremony and his God answered, their gods didn't. And then he comes on back from that, you know, and has the big, has the big prayer meeting and the rain came and he outruns the chariot. All these good things are going on. And then Jezebel says, you'll be dead by tomorrow. And he runs off. He's scared. I'm not sure what it is that made that, but it's a buildup of, of, of things. He's been building up a lot of things. What is it that built up in Elijah that all of a sudden he couldn't face Jezebel and he's afraid of dying? John the Baptist is another one. John in, in Luke uh, 7. We're going to read about that where he's in prison. And one of the things that John said in his life was he must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what was going on. But John decreased so much he's got a couple of disciples around. Jesus is all the rest of them. Some of his own disciples left and followed Jesus. And now he's in prison. Everybody's forgotten about John. Everybody's over there with Jesus. And he sends a couple of his disciples on out and says, go ask Jesus if he's the one. But John himself said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And now he's in prison and said, go make sure he's the right one. <laughs> go ask him if he's the right one. Because I'm not sure anymore. That's a setback. Peter in Matthew 16. You'll see this in other places too, but Peter brings Jesus aside and says, Lord, don't be talking about dying. Don't be talking about dying. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. How many of you know that could be a setback for you? If somebody you know and really love and really care for says, get thee behind me, Satan, that could set you back a bit. So these are the four stories we're going to take a look at. But here's the, here's the things you need to understand. Setback. There are some footholds on the setbacks. Here's the footholds that they have. First off, a strong self-awareness. Spiritual setbacks have as a foothold, this is part of their setup, is a strong self-awareness. I know how good I've been for God's cause. I don't know about everybody else, but I know I've been really good for God. I know I've been faithful. I know I've been praying. I've been reading my word. Look at what I've been enduring. Look at how faithful I've been. A very strong self-awareness. Understand this. If you have developed in you, listen to words, have this building up on the inside of yourself, a real strong self-awareness. I know how good I've been. I'm not so sore about so-and-so, brother or sister so-and-so, but I know how good I've been. I've been doing all right. And I don't deserve all this stuff that's going on around me. 
you are setting yourself up for a setback. Don't blame God for it when it happens. You're setting yourself up for it. Here's the second one. Isolation. No one else is as faithful as I am. No one else is on the same page. No one else knows the Word of God like I do. No one else knows how to pray like I do. No one else knows God like I do. No one else has been doing this. We have this isolation. I am the only one who's been getting this way. Who's been doing this particular thing. And you're going to see this in all of our examples here. Third one is God's apparent inaction. If you have been meditating on the apparent inaction of your God, you are setting yourself up for a problem. Don't you do this with your spouse? Don't you do this with your employer? How many times have you been ready to blow up or have blown up at your employer and you, it simply became because you were back there saying, my employer hasn't been helping me out in this. He hasn't given me a raise in a while. He hasn't been taking care of the needs that I have here at the job. You meditate on these things. Haven't we meditated on our spouses in inaction? Not taking care of certain things? How about our children's inaction? How many times have you meditated on the fact that your children didn't take out the trash? Didn't wash the dishes? Didn't clean up their room? Didn't pick up their stuff? Left a mess for you? How many times have we done that one? So God's apparent in action. You sit there and you meditate on the fact that, well, God didn't do this. God said He would do this. And I don't feel this. And I don't see this going on. And this isn't happening. When you meditate on these things, have these things going on, you are setting yourself up for a setback. And it's not God's fault when it happens. Last one is fear. I'm afraid to operate at the level I've grown to operate in. You're operating at a level. You're used to operating here. And all of a sudden, you're not so sure if you should be doing this. If you should be operating this way. If you've been out there laying hands on the sick, praying for them to recover. And now all of a sudden, you think, oh, I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if this is something I should do. You've been out there sharing Jesus with people and all of a sudden fear comes on you. I don't know if I can do that anymore. You become fearful to do the things that you've been doing in the past. We're not talking about fear about taking new ground. We're talking about fear of just doing the things you've already done. I know I'm trying hard. No one's helping me, not even God. I perceive I'm out on my own and it scares me. Boy, I didn't sign up for this one. This isn't exactly what I got on board for. I thought this would be different. You are setting yourself up for a spiritual setback. All right, let's take a look at some of these. Moses in Egypt. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now he knows that they're one of his brethren. He wasn't born with this knowledge and he was smuggled over into the Pharaoh's family and somehow along the line he came to the knowledge of this, however it was. And so he looked this way and that way and he saw no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared, and suddenly this thing, surely this, this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. 
and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the, the troughs to, to water their father's flock. Well, we'll cover this part here in a minute. But take a look at this first part. First off, Moses has felt these are his brethren, and somehow he came to that knowledge. But then he also came to the knowledge that he was their deliverer. God was dealing with him and telling him, you are to deliver these people. They are your people. And you are to deliver them from the, the hold of Egypt. So he's wondering, how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do to get this done? And he sees this battle go on. He says, well, this shouldn't be. If I'm the deliverer, I ought to at least stop this one. And so he gets in there to stop. He looks all around, makes sure that no one sees it. And he kills the Egyptian. And he thinks no one will know about this. But the next day, apparently it's known. Word is spread around. And word spread pretty fast. Moses killed an Egyptian. Moses killed. He, he went out there and he just killed him. And so the two Hebrew are fighting. And surely if the thing became known and you're Moses and you understand that God has spoken to you, you are the deliverer. Wouldn't they know it? But they apparently don't know it. And if they do know it, they're not receiving it. So here's Moses. I'm supposed to be the deliverer. I'm supposed to come in and help them to, to get out from all this oppression. And, and they're not receiving this ministry. They don't seem to want me to deliver them. And God didn't seem to help out. I mean, I'm over there doing all that I can. Where was God? Where's God in all this? Doesn't He see I'm out there trying to deliver the people? And then He becomes fearful to do the things He's always done. To go in and out amongst Pharaoh, amongst the Egyptians, amongst the, the Jewish people. He's fearful to do what He's always done before. And he flees and he leaves. He gets out of there. You see how all this, these attitudes are working in Moses. And he's confused right now. I thought I was supposed to be their deliverer. So does anything good come out of him being up there? Well, we find out that he gets married. That he comes upon the, this household and takes a liking to one of the daughters. And eventually he marries this daughter. And uh, they have children. And uh, he's just, he's content to live life the way he is. Then he has this burning bush experience. And God shows up at the burning bush. Moses thinks he's all alone. He's just left all that life. And Moses says, or God says to Moses, no, you are the deliverer. And he says, no, no, no. I am not the deliverer. No, no. You need to find another one. I'm no good at that. Tried that one. Didn't work out so well. You need to find someone else. Obviously, I am not the right. Tries to talk God out of it. And God will have no part of being talked out of it. And so eventually he, he uh, goes about it, doing it. And so on his way, and you can read all this in the, in the chapters if you're not familiar with it, but on his way, he's leaving from Midian to come on back to Egypt and God's ready to strike him down dead. God's met at Moses, ready to kill him. And his wife takes notice of what's going on and apparently there was a strong disagreement between his wife and Moses because Moses felt that his boys ought to be circumcised and his wife said, uh-uh, we're not doing anything like that. And Moses gave in to his wife and they didn't do it. And God was mad with Moses. And God was ready to wipe him out. He's out there answering the call. God's ready to wipe him out. And so his wife sees what's going on and so she goes over and she circumcises the boys, throws the foreskins down and says, you are a husband of blood to me. And, uh, and she gets so mad at this, she heads back with the two boys. Heads back. Now, how mad would you have to be as a woman to pick the two boys up and head them back to Midian across whatever wilderness, desert, terrain, whatever is, is there on your own? 
just forget all this. And so she heads back. She's not done. Now you know this because when, when they come out of Egypt, Jethro, his father-in-law, comes and he brings his wife with his sons. But eventually they made the trip with him. So Moses makes the, the last part of the trip on his own. And he gets out there and he you know, gets before Pharaoh. And he has a discouraging time with the first time with Pharaoh. Doesn't, does not work out real well. And Pharaoh decides to up the ante. He says, now instead of giving straw and making bricks, you have to get your own straw and then make the same amount of bricks. And Moses thought, oh, this is not working out. This is just like it was before. I am not cut out for this. This God has got the wrong person. And it's the last time Moses ever looked back on this and doubted. After this, you see a different Moses. And Moses grows so much in this next year. He grows so much. He goes from God being just a distant player in his life to being able to see God face to face. Asking for that. He has a tremendous relationship with God. Becomes a phenomenal intercessor because he knows his God. And that's the difference that we see with him. But you see how all these feelings build up? into him, into where he just was ready to... He left his home, the only home he knew. He left Egypt and he just, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. And he came upon a land of Midian. That's Moses. Let's look at the next one. Next one, you're familiar with this story. We don't have to read this over as much, but it's in 1 Kings 19. I'm going to just summarize a lot of this for you. In 1 Kings 19... Jezebel says, you are going to die. He runs and flees and gets out of there. And he's before, before God. Actually, I'm going to read some of this. Pick up at verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now understand, the reason he is there is because God has led him. God gave him special cakes. Special cakes. He'd eat this. The angel woke him up. Eat this. He ate it. The angel woke him up again. Eat this. He ate it. And on the strength of that food, he went 40 days into the wilderness. That's a long distance. What are you doing here, Elijah? I'd be saying, well, this is where you told me to go. But that's not quite the answer he gives. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. How's he feel? Strong self-awareness. I have been very zealous for the Lord. I'm about the only one on your side. Isolation. No one else. They've killed all the other prophets off. The rest have fallen away. I'm the only one out there doing this stuff for you. God's apparent in action. I'm the only one working on this. God, you haven't done a whole lot. I mean, He did show up with fire. He did show up and finally bring the rain over after He prayed. But, you know, apparently we forget a lot of those things. I'm it. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Verse 11, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Now, that's some kind of wind that breaks rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, Sometimes we just don't learn the lesson real well. Apparently God didn't hear the first time. 
We need to say it again. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, if you give the exact same response two times to the same question, how many know it's not the first time you said it? How many times have this been going on in his head? I alone am left. I've been very zealous for the Lord. He's been saying this over and over and over. And finally, God asked him, so he says it to God. But he's been saying it over. He's rehearsed this. He's got it down. Uh, then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael, king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed the Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he says, you are not the only one left. There are 7,000 others beside you. You are not the only one. We can replace you. In fact, I'm going to replace you. Go out there. I've got three people for you to anoint. One person is king over Israel. One person is king over Judah. And another one that you're going to go. You're going to go out there. and I'm sorry, one over Syria, one over Israel. And then you're going to anoint your successor. So you know what he does? I didn't, put, I didn't uh, write this down for you, but you can go and check it out. The first thing he does when he leaves here, he anoints his successor. What was the order that God gave it to him? The king of Syria, the king of Israel, and then your successor. What did he do? He jumped right to the successor. And I don't believe he ever got to the other two. I believe it was Elisha that picked up the mantle from there and anointed the other two. If I'm, uh, I haven't read that part in a little bit, but I'm pretty sure that's the way that that went. He's ready to, he's ready to be done. But apparently he sticks around for a while longer and you do see that he does come out of this. He doesn't stay in this funk for a long time. He does get out of it. But this is the buildup of emotions. Elijah has been feeling this for a long time. Even when he is on the mountain, ridiculing the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, telling them, you know, the, your God's relieving himself. He's over there taking a nap. He's over there doing all this stuff. Even when he's doing all these things, he's, he's fuming on the inside. He says, look at this. I'm the only one here. There is nobody else on the side with God. I've always thought this. Look, I'm the only one here. All these guys are over here. All of us just cheering for them. I'm the only one over here. I'm it. And he's, he's just rehearsing this. I've been very zealous for the Lord. Who else is standing up for God? Who else is taking all this abuse? No one. It's just me. And he's going over this and over this and over this. And so when Jezebel says this thing, I'm going to kill you, it just broke a dam inside of him and all this stuff just started coming out fear came over him and what he has done all this time going before the kings and the queens and all the people of Israel and not fearing for his life suddenly he's in fearing for his life what he could normally do before can't even seem to do it now it all seems to be gone another, st another time John the Baptist he's in prison and this report about him went throughout all Judea, talking about Jesus in verse 17, Luke 7, verse 17, and all the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John called, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look 
for another. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? What did, you, what did John say about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. When John baptized Jesus, what happened? The Spirit of God came down like a dove upon Him. John saw all this. When the man... When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And in that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go, tell John the things you have seen and heard, and that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What did John want to hear? I'm the guy. Yep, I am the Son of God. I'm the guy. Don't worry about it, John. You pointed me out. I am the guy. You just... Don't worry about it. But he doesn't do that. He says, you tell him what's going on. He let him figure it out from there. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Well, the last one was Peter rebuking Jesus. He pulls him aside. He says, Jesus, you shouldn't be saying these things. When Jesus, remember, Peter got the revelation, you are the Son of God. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, and some say that, and some say this. And uh, disciples said, or Jesus said to the disciples, whom do you say that I am? And Peter chimed up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Because they were receiving revelation from God directly, it said in the Word of God that He began to teach them from that moment on that He must die, suffer many things, and would be raised on the third day. He taught them this directly. So as He's teaching them these things, Peter pulls them aside and says, you shouldn't be saying this stuff. You're the Messiah. I, I just had that confession and you were so high on it. You're the Messiah. This isn't what you're going to do. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't too impressed with all that. You see, Peter, look at Peter, how he did this. First off, a strong self-awareness. What is Peter seeing? I have a revelation about you, Jesus. Apparently, no one else around here has that revelation. But I have this revelation. I spoke it to you before. I have this revelation. And I'm not letting you go. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are not going to die. He is a strong self-awareness. This time, it's not going in a negative sense. It's going in a positive sense. Isolation. He pulls them aside because these other guys, these other jokers out here, these other 11, they're not up to my level. You, you need me. Jesus, you need me right now. I'm going to pull you aside. I need to be the one that's strong. He's got this isolation thing going on. And God, God's apparent in action. You need, you're not acting on this the way that you need to. No, 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 no. You need to not give in to all these kind of things. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me. He didn't like that one too much. Now you're going to see Peter from this point on. He's going to, fear is going to get a hold of him. He's going to go up and down. We've got a few more ups and downs with, with Peter. But fear is going to really get a hold of him when Jesus is going to the cross. But he will get out of it. Let's take a look at the comebacks. We have isolated the problem. Moses at the burning bush is the comeback part here. And he had some things to overcome with that. He had 40 years of wandering away from God. 40 years of this setback. 
of all this thing. I'm sure it came to mind a few more times. The reason that he has a burning bush experience is because he's not listening to God saying, Come on, Moses. You are the deliverer. And he's not listening to it. So God gets the burning bush. He gets his attention. And even there he's trying to argue him out, out of the whole thing. Because this setback has really set him back. He is totally content to just be in the wilderness and take care of goats and sheep or whatever else they have out there just to be the, the herder. And take care of all this stuff out, out there with this new family he's got. And he's got a couple of kids and you know, a new wife. And this is fine. I don't need anything more. I, I'm okay with this. I don't need to step out on anything more. God says, no, no, no. You've got more in front for you. You've got to get out there. We need you to get going. We told you before that God said how many years would Israel be in captivity? God prophesied this before. 400 years He prophesied. He said your people will be in, uh, uh, enslaved to a nation for 400 years. In the end, how many years was Israel in slavery to Egypt? How many? 430 years. 430 years. How many years is that more? 30. How many years has he been in the backside of the wilderness? 40. Which means that the intended purpose was for Moses to hear the plan of God. And in 10 years, God had a plan to get them out. Moses didn't listen to it. And so because of it, Israel stayed in captivity for 30 more years than God ever intended them. Did that setback have a problem? Now, if God intended them to be out in 400 years, do you not think that God was on Moses' doorstep? All that time, working on Him. Has God been on your doorstep? When you stepped out of line, when you stopped following the purpose of God, has God been on your doorstep about it? Telling you, yo, come on, get back! How many times have we said, come on, get back, come on, get No! Look how much I messed up. No, I messed up too much. No, I can't come back. No, no, no. No, I've been out here. No, it's all gone. I went and killed somebody. I went and, you know, they want to kill me out there. Pharaoh doesn't like me anymore. No, no, no. No, I can't go back. And God says, yes, come on. Come on, give it. No, no, I can't get back. And finally, God has to send a burning bush to get the guy out of it. You just off the off the character here, but God called Paul into the ministry he was in from the time he was born. God didn't suddenly dawn on him. You know what? What am I thinking? Paul, he'd be great. Let's get him. This is not new. God had this from the early days. He planned this for Paul. Paul went in the wrong direction. He had some setbacks along the way. He went in the wrong way. And God says, we we got to do something drastic. We're going to get this, by, this boy back on the right path. Let's just stop him in the middle of the road. And he got on back. All those nasty things that Paul did. And God says, I still need you doing what I called you to do. Get out there and do it. Doesn't matter how much we messed up in life ever. God says, get back. Come on, I got a plan for you. Get back. You can still accomplish the plan. If Paul could mess up as much as he messed up and still get back and accomplish the plan of being God's apostle. If Moses could mess up as much as he messed up and be being the backside of the wilderness for 40 years and cause God's prophecy to be 30 years late. How would you like to have that on your head? You cause God's prophecy to be 30 years late. Because God is not off. Remember when Daniel was studying the, the things in the of... Uh, Israel and the punishment, and he finally figured out how long they would be in captivity. Oh, I see it. 
I see. Seventy years have been determined for us to be in captivity. That means we're about done. And God says, yep, you are about done. Seventy years, and they were out on seventy years. Wasn't seventy-one, wasn't seventy-two. They were out. God is punctual. It's a man that messes it up sometimes. I just like to be Moses in heaven. God says, what about that late prophecy? Whose fault was that? That's mine. No, it's, my, it's me. <laughs> it wasn't God's fault. It wasn't His fault. So God's working them all this time and He's ignoring it and God finally gets them with the burning bush and He's almost ready to walk away from it again. After the first plague falls. or Not the first plague, but the first signs didn't work out. He's ready to walk away from it again. And God gets them back and you find a new Moses at that point. A different Moses. Things change on the inside of him. And he grows with leaps and bounds from that point on. You do not see him turn back ever again and doubt the direction God has put him. Elijah at the cave. He's over there at the cave. He's going over. I've done all this stuff. I've, I've been so faithful. And God says, no, you are not the only one who's, who's been faithful. Yeah, you've been faithful. You've been doing good. You've been doing fine. But get out there and keep doing it. What are you doing over here? What are you doing over here? In other words, God's saying, why did I have to bring you all the way out to here? Now you're going to make the trip back on your own. I brought you out here in the strength of food, but we never hear that he had any special cakes to get back. I'll get you out here and fix you up, but you're on your own getting back. Now get on back there and get this done. <laughs> you go back there and read the story. I never saw God gave him any more special cakes. That was it. He just got the one, one time to get on out there. And God says, what are you doing out here? Like I told you, I would have said, you told me to be here. I follow directions. No, he said, what are you doing out here? You shouldn't be out here. You should be back over there fighting the battle. But he let this stuff build up and he responded to it. John, why is John in prison doubting this stuff? Does he come back? We are not told. There is nothing in Scripture. This is about the end of thing we ever see about John. We are not told what happens with him after this. We don't know when the disciples come back. And he says, oh, I know it's the Christ. I know it. We don't know it. I'm pretty sure that John did come around and that he was okay with it after, after that. But even John, Jesus called him the greatest prophet that ever lived. In fact, as soon as those guys left, Jesus gave a lesson on, on prophets. And he says, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever lived. And here he is in prison doubting whether what he did was right. Did I point to the right man? Spent my whole life ministry pointing the direction to you. Did I point to the right person? Is my whole life in ministry wrong? How would you like to be in prison thinking that everything that you did in life might not be right? That's what John went through. And Peter, well, this is just one in a series of miscues. Just a whole mess of them. He just miscue after miscue. But once he gets right, he stays right pretty good. I mean, in the book of Acts, we have a couple of times he got off, but he's over there. He's hearing from God. He's doing okay. <laughs> he, he certainly brought a lot of strength he was, he was definitely one of the pillars of the church. Well, just as God speaks to Elijah, answers his question, speaks to these Moses, it's not through the power of God that we develop faith, but in the hearing of His Word. It's in the hearing of His Word. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There's a whole lot of times, folks, that what we want is we want God to speak to us, God, I am really discouraged. If we were John, God, I am really discouraged. I want you to show up here in the prison and just speak to me. 
Just tell me I did okay. As long as you tell me I did okay, I'll be okay just to... Even if they killed me, I'm alright. How many of us would be saying all that? But God didn't show up in the prison for John. And He sent out the messengers. And even Jesus doesn't say, I'm the guy! Don't worry about it, I'm okay. That doesn't happen. Well, the truth will seldom be what you want to hear. I understand that. When you get into a setback situation, the truth is something you are seldom going to want to hear. Most times we are in a setback situation, what we want to hear is God say, you know what? I wish I had 20 of you guys. I wish I had 40 of you. If I had a whole church filled with people like you, oh, we would be so much easier. That's what we want to hear. And then, and I mean, don't you want to hear that? I mean, we've never, I must, I've never caused a single problem in a church. Right? How about you? It's always other people. It's them. They did it. They caused the problem. It's their reaction. I was fine in what I, I was right in what I did. They were all wrong. The reason we had a problem was because of what they did. Not me. Isn't that the way you look at things too? If only we had a whole church filled with people just like you, we wouldn't have any problems. But see, the truth will seldom be what you want to hear because what God will pretty much come over and say is, you know what? You've messed up too. You haven't been doing this right. You've been going over here and doing this. Now quit it and get right. We don't always want to hear that. The truth will seldom be what you want to hear. The edification you desire will not always come to your ears. I'll tell you what, we like to have this be something different, but the edification you desire will not always come to yours. Sometimes it will. With Moses, it came to his ears. He heard the voice from God speaking from there. But of course, he didn't give him a whole lot of encouragement in the whole thing. He just said, get out there and do it. And every time Moses is trying to argue with it, he, look, get out there and do this. I've commanded you, get out there and go. But it's not always going to come to your ears. Elijah didn't come to his ears. He heard the, the still small voice or the, the wind, all this stuff going on around him, but it, it didn't really come to him the way that it wanted. He wanted God just to show up and say, you know what, Elijah, you have been great. You are probably the greatest prophet we have ever had in this country. I've never had anybody as good as you. You are the best. I mean, no one has done the miracles that you have done. No one has had faith to believe the things that you believe. No one. No one. You're it. I mean, you are tops. As far as a draft pick is concerned, you are a steal. Oh, you're just something else. That's what he wants to hear, but he's not hearing that. I got 7,000 others just like you, and I'll replace you in a moment. In fact, go out there and anoint Elisha. He'll take your place. That's not what we want to hear. The truth will seldom be what you want to hear. The edification you desire will not always come to your ears. And the action will seldom excite you. You will hardly ever be excited at the action he says to take. When he tells Elijah, go back and do all this stuff, I'm sure Elijah saying, oh, man. When God comes to Moses and said, go back into Egypt and get them out. What's Moses saying? I'm pretty happy here. No problem with staying right here. I'm okay with it. The motivation to perform does not always come with the revelation. The motivation to perform does not always come with the revelation. Just because God gives you a revelation in one way or another, encouragement one way or another, doesn't mean that you are motivated by it as well. You've got to find the motivation on your own. You've got to get that thing going. Where's your motivation going to be at? You've got to get a motivation that 
keeps you going? What is it that motivates you? I told you before, one of the greatest things I ever saw for working out. Ever see those work? I was always into working out, you know, the running and the, the lifting and the uh, ab workout. Loved ab workout. I still to this day love ab workouts. Ab workouts are just the best thing in the world to do. Love them. Oh. And my greatest motivation was to sit there and watch Rocky Four. Rocky Four. He's in the barn doing those inverted sit-ups and they're punching his stomach as he's doing, oh, oh, this is the best. Oh, this is great. Gets out there and runs with dragging the log behind him. Oh, this is good. That's maybe not for your motivation. That was mine. I just needed that one little part on, just show me that motivated. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> but understand the motivation won't always come with what the revelation God gives you. You got to get out there and you got to get your, mo- your motivation. But get motivated. Do what God has said to do. Don't sit there and, bl- and think you can blame this on God. God, I didn't do what you called me to do. I just wasn't motivated and you didn't help me. Could you imagine showing up to the coach of the football team when he sees you, you got flattened out there in the, in, the, in the field and then you got flattened again and then you got flattened again and he comes up to you, boy, what are you doing out here? Sorry, coach. You told me what to do but you just didn't inspire me to get it done. Your time on that football field will be very short. You'll be replaced. You're taken care of. You're out of that one. Hmm. The motivation to perform does not always come with the revelation. Team up with God, folks. Team up with God. You can overcome any setback that has been in your life. Anything that has gone on in your life you can overcome it. There is not a single setback that you have faced, whether you have caused it, other people have caused it. It makes no difference. There is not a single setback that has come across your life that you cannot overcome. If Paul could overcome all the setbacks he did, watching Stephen get stoned, inspiring the death of Christians, one after another after another, Roman the, the cities having papers to execute Christians. And he could come back from that. If Moses could come back from what he came back from. If Elijah could come back from running from the queen. How would you like to be that way? Stand up to the king but run from the queen. We've been having a lot of talk about man cards. I think that would get his man card pulled right there. That'd be, that'd be it for that. But he came back. And you'll see him in a few stories later standing in the field with the king and rebuking him for, buying, for, for seizing uh, Naboth's vineyard mm-hmm. and pronouncing the punishment on him. That's bold for people who want to kill you. He's basically saying, here I am. Here I am. Come on. Nah. There is not a single setback that you cannot overcome. No matter if it's your doing or someone else's doing. God will bring you out of it. But if you are going to develop spiritually, you're going to have to overcome the setbacks that have come about. And you will overcome them. You can overcome them. You've got to dig down and find some motivation to get that thing going. But you can overcome it. But don't think that any of your excuses are sitting out before God. Well, God, I'm no good at this. Well, God, you didn't do this. Well, God... No, you don't want to hear it. God is not into hearing excuses. 
He wants to see us turn it around. We gave you a couple of examples here of people who were successful in getting past their, their comebacks. David had a lot of setbacks in his life. And he overcame all those. Some of them held him back a little longer than others, but he overcame them and he got past. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole number of people. And you can go through and just begin to think of the stories. What kind of setbacks did they have in their life? What kind of things happened? Abraham. Didn't he have some setbacks in his life? Didn't he overcome them? Became the such a great man of faith. But he had some faith setbacks in his life. And he had to overcome them. God will help you overcome them. Would you all stand up? Glory to God. Bow your heads with me. How many of you would say right here, I've had some setbacks in my life and I haven't quite got past them. They're still holding me back. But I need to get past them. I'm not going to have you come up here to the front, but raise your hand up. I need prayer for the... Yeah, i got some setbacks. I see them. All right. Good. I've got some setbacks in my life, but I want to overcome. And you can overcome them right now. You don't need any special forgiveness from God. Just the regular forgiveness is all you need. <laughs> don't get that in your mind. You need some kind of special forgiveness. You don't need special forgiveness. The regular strength stuff works. It's all you need. God's regular strength forgiveness overcomes anything you can possibly do. Don't ever let the devil think you need extra strength forgiveness to get over this one. You do not. Regular strength is all you need. Ever. Glory to God. Because that regular strength stuff is strong. Oh, man. It's good. It washes away the whole thing. But the devil has sold you on this thing that you need extra strength. Super strong. No, you don't. Regular strength. Father God, I thank you that regular strength forgiveness has forgiven me today. <laughs> I thank you that there is nothing that holds me back in life. I've let this setback hold me back. I've let this way of thinking hold me back. I'm not letting it think me hold me back anymore. Glory to God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm moving forward past this. I am moving forward past this. I will not be held back by these things anymore. I am going forward. I am going strong. I am going for the call that you have on my life. And I will fulfill it in the name of Jesus. And you just declare this to yourself every time. And every time the devil wants to get in your head and begin to make you think, Oh, but you're an extra strong sinner. You've, been, you've done extra, extra stuff. You say, No, no, I'm a normal sinner. I'm a regular strength sinner. I've done nothing worse than anyone else who's ever been before me. And my God's forgiveness forgives me too. And my God will restore me in the same way He restored Abraham. In the same way He restored Adam. In the same way He restored all these others. Elijah. John. Peter. No. All these ones. God brought them all back. God has them going. He's got you going too. Glory be to your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now there's two ways you can go with this. One is that sometimes these setbacks have held you back from following the call of God on your life. You're still following God, but the setback has you from following the call. See, Moses still followed after God, but he wasn't following the call. Paul not only wasn't following after God, or the call, he wasn't following after God. He didn't follow after any of them. Paul 
Why are you forsaking, persecuting me? He's not following after God. See, it'll stop you from one or two things. It'll stop you from pursuing your call. And it can stop you from pursuing God. We don't want you to have to have that going on. If you want prayer for anything specific tonight, on either of those two things, I haven't been following after God, or I haven't been following after my call because of this setback. You don't have to come up. If you raise your hand, that's fine. If you want to keep it at that, that's fine. You don't need to come up. But if you want special prayer for something that you've got going on in your life in that area, we want to pray over you. Specifically for whatever it is that you're facing. So if you want that, just come on up here to the front. We're going to pray over you. Because there's whatever has set you back, whether it was people, whether it was hurts, whether it was disappointments that they had, whatever it was, it don't need to set you back forever. It shouldn't set you back at all. Didn't need to do it at all to begin with. And don't ever think that this is part of God's purpose in your life. He has you set back because He's going to teach you stuff. God didn't teach Moses a thing on the backside of the wilderness. And the wife he got out there never did follow him out. And in fact, he got remarried later on. Hope you all know that. Got remarried later on to the first interracial marriage in the Word of God. Probably wasn't the first one, but it was the first one in the Word of God. And God was fine with it. He got nothing out of that backside of the wilderness. Forty years he spent over there and we never see anything that came out of it. Don't you think that God has done this in your lives to teach you anything? What God wants is you to get out of it. He does not want any of those setbacks going on. So if you want prayer for anything specific in that, just come on out. Nobody else comes out, just you, that's fine. But if you want prayer for anything specific on that, come on up. Whether it be towards your calling or just following after God. Because setbacks will hold you back from both. Can hold you back from both. Don't need to, but they can. Glow over to your name, Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are such a great God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, let's.
Amen. All right. Well, we ended this one, this one a little bit different than we usually end them, but I'll tell you what, it's so important. Don't let these setbacks get you back. Oh, just The devil's just been lying to people left and right and telling them, well, you're done with ministry. You can't ever get back. Oh, you short kid. Mm-hmm. If Moses could get back after all that, after causing God's prophecy to fail for 30 years, mm-hmm. to be extended all that time. Oh. God brought it about. God says, God wasn't, wasn't messing with it. And there's other ones too made some big blunders. Jehoshaphat made one of the biggest blunders in the entire Old Testament. Y'all remember that one? There is no blunder in the Old Testament bigger than Jehoshaphat's. And he's one of the greatest kings in the, in, in the Bible. But Jehoshaphat decided to marry an enduring line to a cursed line. And boy, did he put God in a pickle. What was God going to do? Because Jehoshaphat joined in union with an evil king that God had said, all your descendants shall die. But Jehoshaphat's descendants were to live on forever. Biggest mistake, I think, in the entire Old Testament made by one of the best kings we know. All of us can pull off some real nasty mistakes. Just understand that. That's all right. We serve a great God. Like, like I already told you, regular strength forgiveness is all you need. I don't need extra strength. Amen. I used to work for a company called Keltner's Horse Medicine. Most of you know all that. And used to, they, we used to get letters written in and said, why doesn't Keltner's make an extra, extra strong horseradish? And uh, they would tell me their answer to all that. Well, we don't need to. And they didn't. They made, they, made it, they made it straight. They said a lot of people doctor it up with all kinds of foreign stuff to make it hotter. We don't need to. Ours is pure horseradish. And I'll tell you what, take the tar off your... <laughs> stuff was str- especially you had it ripe you had it fresh oh man I'll tell you why there's nothing else you had to do to that thing that was, that was, God don't need extra strength regular strength forgiveness is all he needs don't ever let the devil tell you you need anything extra anything different